really think about it, they really took the Great Commission seriously. They took the Great Commission as if it was something that Jesus Christ himself commanded them to do. Right? And what he said in this, he said that, and Jesus spoke to them, he said, and all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. The one who possessed all authority, the one who was the highest ranking person in Jesus Christ over the entire universe, the one who was going to be calling the shots, their commander in chief above all things, the king of kings and the Lord of lords spoke to his disciples and he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. This was a serious commission that Jesus had given to them. And the early church took it very seriously. They took it and they ran with it. Because they were faithful with the message of the gospel, we are able to be, to be partakers of that message. And if you really think about it, the early church would have just dropped their hands and said, well, look, this is something that we're not going to do. If they had in a mentality that, well, somebody else will do it, it's very possible that we wouldn't even have a New Testament to read and study. Because who, is, who penned the New Testament? It was, a, it was that early church. So we have something to be very thankful. We owe them a great debt of gratitude for being faithful to Christ and carrying out that great commission and spreading the gospel that eventually made a worldwide um, uh, goal. Now they, had, they, they suffered many different challenges and some are very similar to the challenges that we face today. The challenges are is that the Christians at that time were a minority in the world. And I believe we are slowly becoming a, minor, a minority. It seems like there are being more people born than those who are being reborn. We have more people coming into our world than are actually being, uh, who are turning, to, turning their lives over to Christ and being saved and having their sins forgiven. However, just like this early church, as they were challenged to go and make disciples, we too are faced with that very self-same challenge. And it's just as if Jesus Christ said it himself to us. We have this challenge before us. Now, what did they do? I mean, what were the things that they were known for? Well, one thing that we're going to see that they were known for in Acts chapter 17 is something that I want to make us known for locally as well as globally as Christians. But before we get to verses 5 and 6 in chapter 17, I want us to take a running start at this like I normally do. But, but, the, but what has happened is they have come to Thessalonica. Paul is, Paul is now in verse 2. It says, Then Paul, as his custom was, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, Paul is reasoning with the Jews in the synagogues, those who are, who are very familiar with the Old Testament. Remember, there's no New Testament right now. So he's not taking him through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and, and all of Paul's writings. No, Paul is in Thessalonica, and he goes to the synagogues, and he's teaching and reasoning with the Jews through the Scripture. Now, what is the thing that he's actually trying to bring about? Well, it tells us here again, and in verse 3, it says, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. This Jesus 
that was crucified, was buried, and now these followers and I myself as Paul stand before you and profess that this Jesus Christ is alive today and that Jesus is the Christ. He reasoned with them, went going through the, the Old Testament and showing how Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophecy of who he was. And he reasoned with them in Scripture. Now look at the result in verse 4. It says, and some of them, only some, were persuaded. And a great multitude of devout Greeks were also persuaded. And not a few of the, of the leading women. They joined Paul and Silas. For the faithful preaching of God's word that Paul did, we see the result here. Now, I want you to also understand not everybody to whom he preached or to, or who whom he, or, or, uh, to whom he preached or those who heard what he had to say agreed with him. Matter of fact, some people were pretty upset about what he was preaching. And in verse 5 it says, But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jacob and sought to bring them out to the people. They were jealous about the work that Paul was doing. They're saying, look, we are the religious leaders here, and now you've got all these people following you, even some of our own are now following, following you and are joining you. So this, this kind of worked up an evil spirit with inside them. They were envious, and out of that envy, they took evil men from the marketplace. And they created a mob, and they started an uproar. In verse 6, look what they did. After they came to the house of Jason, it says, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Yes, the people that we've been hearing about in these surrounding cities, guess what? They're in Thessalonica now. Those who have turned the world upside down and caused all the problems in, in the cities and the towns around us, they are now here. They are on our doorstep. And he accuses Jason again in verse 7. It says, and Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So they are being brought out into the public square in front of God and everybody and being accused of preaching that there's, there's another king, a greater king than Caesar, and that is Jesus Christ. But they were being charged with turning the world upside down. Now, we live in a world today that needs to be turned upside down. We live in a world that needs a gospel message that will change things within our society, to change things in the world in, our, in, in doing that. And I believe that we as the, as the church, as God's chosen people, as God's, God's children who are commissioned with the, with the responsibility of going and making disciples can do just that. I truly believe that we can do that. But what did the early Christians have that we don't? What are some differentiations that we can make from the early church that, that we might need to say, take a look at and say, you know what, maybe we need to adopt the example that they've given us in Scripture. We're going to go through a few of those this morning. I'm going to list, list a few of these things, and we're going to see how we can apply these to our own efforts here in today's world. We live in a world that's very similar, but we're going to talk about turning the world upside down. Can we be accused of such a thing? 
as they were. Well, the first thing that I want us to have an understanding is, is that the early church was on fire for Christ. They were on fire. They were a passionate people about what Jesus Christ had truly done to them. They were impacted by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a great way. Now, if we take a look in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That's a miracle in itself, right? But in verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And, there, and then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the, 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 the different languages that were distributed among the disciples during that day, and as they spoke, they began to speak as of fire. They were speaking in all these different languages. So what's the purpose in speaking all these different languages? Well, what happened is in verse 5, we see why. It says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So why are they speaking in different languages? Because there were people who were there to hear them speak in different languages. If they were to speak in their own native tongue, they would not have been understood. But however, as the Holy, they were filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, they were speaking in these different languages that they could understand and hear. And, this, and men from every nation under heaven had been gathered there and listened to their, their, uh, their understanding of it. In verse 6, it says, And when this sound occurred, I'm not sure what sound we're talking about. Could be the one from verse 2, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Or it could have been the sound in verse 4, whenever they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak. This could have caused the sound. With whatever it was, whichever one it might be, however, it was a sound that brought attention to where they were. And the people gathered around. It says that when they heard this sound, whenever it occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these all who speak Galileans, in other words, uneducated men, how are they able to speak in all these different languages that we can actually understand? And in verse 8 it says, And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? If I could metaphorically speak, whenever we see that they were dispersed with languages as of fire, I believe that the early church was on fire for Christ. And I believe they were able to turn their world upside down because they were a people who were passionate about the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had been impacted in such a way that they could not stay quiet about it. But they were on fire. They were excited about what Christ could do in the lives of the other people. In so much that they were willing to jump out and put themselves out there and they were speaking as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were speaking every time that the, that the, that the Spirit gave them, gave them an urge to speak and to preach the gospel. That's exactly what they did. But they were on fire for Christ. Very passionate people about the work of Christ that had been put before them. And what we do is we see the effect. We see souls that were saved. We see churches that were planted. And the early church was on fire. They were excited about it. 
Now, I know that we live in a world where we can get very discouraged when it comes to living your life out for Christ. We can get very discouraged because of what we think other people might believe about us. Or we might even think that nobody's listening. We might think that, well, look, I'm the only one out here preaching. There's nobody out here to help me. Now, there was a great prophet um, named Jeremiah that felt just that way. He felt exactly that way. As a matter of fact, he had come to this conclusion here in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. He says, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. He had made the decision, I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm tired of preaching on deaf ears. I'm tired of being the only one out here. But whenever he made that decision, he said, I could not do it. It was like a burning fire in my bones. I could not hold it back. He was on fire to preach the word that God had given him to preach. The early church gives us that example as they were preaching the word of God because they were excited about what could happen. They were excited about the possibility of people coming to Christ and having their sins forgiven and then having their eternity secured in Christ. But they were excited about what they were doing on fire for Christ. You know, it's not enough for us to just be fundamental. I believe that we should be on fire for the Lord. We should be really excited about what's going on. It's not enough for us to be doctrinally sound and to be sound asleep. It's not enough for us to go about just talking about the Word of God, but we need to be pleading with people to trust in Christ and have their sins forgiven. It's not enough for us to be Bible-believing, but I mean it must be a burning desire within our souls to preach to the world around us. John Wesley, he said it like this. He said, light, your, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come for miles just to watch you burn. Let me say it like this. Set yourself on fire with the word of God and people will come and watch you burn. And what do we see here that actually happened in, ver in chapter 2 of the book of Acts? The sound was happening and people were coming around and they were marveled about what had happened. And some people were mocking them, yes, but some people trusted Christ. And Peter, st Peter, Peter stepped up and he preached an awesome sermon, a very famous sermon that we see, and the Lord added to his church that day because they were on fire for Christ. I believe that we, as a people, if we're going to turn this world upside down, it's going to take people of Christ, children of God, being very passionate about what God has called us to do and being excited about it. When we're excited about something, we usually talk about it a lot. If we're excited about something, people can have an understanding and see, and they have a desire to find out, wait, what are you so excited about? But if we're going to turn the world upside down, we need to be a people that's on fire. Our souls need to be set on fire to do what Christ has called us to do. Secondly, what we see is that they found a true fellowship in Christ. The church was on fire. The church was very passionate about doing the work of Christ. The church was very passionate about it, but they also had a very sweet, unified fellowship that they found that was based on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It was found on the truth of the Word of God and the Apostles' doctrine. In verse 40, if we can start there, it says, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. 
And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and all things in common. Now if you want to see unity amongst the body of Christ, I'm not pushing for this, but I'm just saying this is an incredible example. Look what they did. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them amongst all um, of all as anyone had need. That's unity. In verse 46, it says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They, they, were, they were in one accord. They were a unified body who were standing on this sing, sing, singular foundation in Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand, when it comes to a people and God's people, we must be a unified body in doing so. We must have a fellowship that is based on Jesus Christ. We must have a fellowship with one another that's based on the truth of the Word of God. And we must be a, a, a people in true fellowship with one another. Honestly, if we're going to carry out this commission that Jesus Christ has given us, it's going to require unity in the body. It requires it. If we're, if we're divided, oftentimes what we, what we do is we tend to focus on the things that divide us rather than focusing on the one thing that unites us, and that's in Christ. As believers and as the body of Christ, we are actually called to maintain the unity in Christ. Anything that goes off of that can be differences of opinions, and we can live with those things, but they're not to be divisive. We are to be unified in the fellowship of the Word of God amongst God's people. And I want you to understand there's nothing more sweet than the fellowship of God's people. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I believe if we're going to turn this world upside down, it's going to require a unified body in order to do it with a single goal in mind, which is to make disciples of all nations. And if we do that, I believe that we can truly turn this world upside down. But it's going to take more than just a one or two. Now, God can do it, yes. But how much more effective would we be if we were unified? Had a common goal, fellowship with one another, and driving for, and be a driving force with one goal in mind rather than being spread off and being divided. I believe the early church, they found true fellowship in Christ. And they were on fire for the Lord. And with that fellowship and that oneness of mind, when they came together to carry out the Great Commission, they were, make, they were able to make an incredible impact in their world. So much that they were drug out into the public square and being accused of turning the, upside, turning the world upside down by preaching that there was another king, not Caesar, but Jesus Christ. Do you think that God can do that? Do you think that God can still do that? Absolutely. He did it with the early church, and they've got less resources than we've got. We've got more freedoms. We've got more resources. We've got more abilities to do it. And I believe that we can do so much more than the early church did. I believe we can truly turn the world upside down. But it requires a church that's going to be on fire for Christ as well as one who's going to be unified with a one-set mind in, 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 in order, to, which is to make disciples of all nations. We can do it. And lastly... They were completely and totally surrendered to Christ. And as we've discussed before, there is a price to pay when it comes to following Christ in this world. There are sacrifices that are going to have to be made. 
you're going to have to deny yourself of many different things if you're going to follow Christ. We must have an understanding of that. And the early church was willing to surrender to Christ and pay the price. They were willing to surrender to Jesus Christ anything and everything that was required. Now, it was a scary time for them. Why was it scary? Because almost every time they turned around, somebody was either getting put to death, being arrested, being threatened for doing what? Preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't face that, we don't face that entirely today yet. But however, whenever we look at what they were doing, they were willing to risk it all. Totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. Now what we see in Acts chapter 4, which is where we're going to be going next. In Acts chapter 4, what we see is Peter and John, they've been arrested. And guess what they've been arrested for? Preaching in the name of Jesus. What had happened is a beggar had come up to Peter and he was asking for, for some help. And then Peter said, look, silver and gold, I don't have anything like that. But one thing I do have, stand in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he was healed that day. And guess what? Whenever you see a man who'd been there for around 40 years begging, crippled, and all, the, and, all the, and all the people in the city of Jerusalem had seen him and known who he was, and he's now up walking around, it's going to cause some attention. And it was attention that I'm sure Peter didn't want, but it was attention that Peter got. It got him arrested. It got him arrested. We see in, in verse four, chapter four and verse one, it says, "And now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, they came upon them and greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They didn't like the fact that they were preaching about Jesus Christ, and they laid hands on them. Now that wasn't to pray for them, I can promise you." But they laid hands on them, and they put them into custody until the next day. For it, was all, for it was already evening. Now, if we go and we jump down to verse 5, what we see here, it says, And it came to pass that on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas and the high priest, Nicaiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, they were gathered together in Jerusalem. So what they do? They went and gathered their buddies together, didn't they? That agreed with them that Jesus shouldn't be preached. And in verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in the midst of the mob that they gathered, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? They knew the answer already, didn't they? They wanted to hear it from them. And said, and this, is what they, this is what his response was. Then Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers of the people of the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Is it possible if Peter would have said something that they didn't like, they could have been arrested and thrown in jail and left there to die? Sure, absolutely. They're preaching in the name of Jesus. They didn't like it. And we can see the reaction to what, what Peter said here. And in verse, so, so actually, Peter's got a lot laying on the line. He's got a lot at risk here. He could lose everything if he tells the truth. But he could save his life if he was willing to back down and say, no, I didn't actually preach in the name of Jesus. But I believe that Peter had actually learned a little bit from denying Jesus in the past. 
But in verse 13 we go. It says, and now then they, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And that was pretty bold, right? That Jesus Christ that you crucified and God raised from the dead. That's why this man stands whole today. When they saw the boldness of Peter, they perceived that they were uneducated men, untrained. And look at this again. They marveled. They were willing to speak in boldness because of the fire that they had and the passion for preaching Jesus Christ. And they saw they were uneducated men, but yet they spoke with such boldness that the people marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They were living a life before the people that they, there was unmistakably known that these guys had been with Jesus. They were very passionate about preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 14, it says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they, but when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves. Now, remember last, yesterday or last week what we talked about is people being willingly ignorant of the facts that are laid before them. They had seen this man who was made whole, and they could not deny that that had actually happened. But listen to what they say. They said, all right, guys, y'all stand outside for a little bit. We need to talk. We're going to kind of discuss what we're going to do with you. And in verse 16, it says, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them. It is evident. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So rather than accepting the truth of what they were actually seeing and, 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 and receiving the evidence that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and by the power of the name of Jesus, that man was made whole, and rather than surrendering their lives to the Christ, they're trying to figure a way that they can cover it up, cover the work that's been done, in order so they can remain in the positions in which they were. Because really and truly what Jesus Christ did, the death, burial, and resurrection, it put them out of a job, didn't it? It removed the power from them that they had amongst the people and the authority. He said, we can't deny it, but I'll tell you what. In verse 17, it says, all right, this is our idea. This is our idea. This is what we're going to do. It says, but, and um, I said, okay, so that it doesn't spread no further among the people, let us do this. Let's severely threaten them. From now on, they speak to no man in this name. Let's just threaten them. If you continue preaching Jesus, you stop doing that or else. In verse 18, it says, So they called them and they commanded them to not speak nor to teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And But Peter and John answered, and they said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you choose. You kind of put through the ball back in their court, didn't you? Say, we're doing this for God. And I'm going to tell you, we're listening to God and doing this. And you, as a man who stands and claims himself to be a godly man, are you saying that we should obey you rather than the God that you say that you, you obey? That so you judge. He says, but, how, but, but Peter didn't really care how they came about their decision on this. Peter and John didn't care if they said it was a good thing or a bad thing. That was not going to stop them one way or the other because listen to what he says. He says, he says now you can judge based on whether you think I should obey you rather than God. And verse 20 says, says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Oh, you're going to have to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, Peter and, and, um, and John were like, I'm sorry, we've seen too much. We've heard too much. We know too much. We've been impacted by the name of Jesus Christ in such a way that we can only preach about the things that we know that are true. 
We stand before you as a personal first-hand witness to the resurrected Christ. And I'm, that is the one thing that we will be preaching in. You've seen it for yourself. You saw this man made whole. And I testify to you that it's only by the name of Jesus Christ that he stands whole in front of you. To said, oh, you can do whatever you want. You can judge whether what I did was good or what I did was evil. But however, we will not do anything except for speak about the things which we have seen and heard. Big risk, right? Absolutely. There's a big risk for them. Because they could, they, could have, they could have laid hands on them again, threw them in prison, and kept them there and tried to hold them there until they decided that they would recant on everything. But however, they stood back because of the fire and the passion, because of the, because of the enthusiasm that they had and knowing what they believed was true and knowing what they had and the message they carried to the people was a gateway to eternal life through Jesus Christ. They said, look, this is the only thing that we are worried about is preaching in the name of Jesus for we but cannot speak except for the things which we have seen and heard. They laid everything on the altar when it came to serving Christ, completely and totally surrendered, sold out for Jesus. For some it meant financial loss, for some it meant imprisonment, for some it meant giving their lives in martyrdom, for the preaching of the gospel. And whenever we kind of look at this and with the things that they were willing to sacrifice and willing to suffer, it's no wonder they were so effective. They didn't let anything get in the way. They weren't worried about saving their own life. They were worried about promoting the life that Jesus Christ could give to those who would receive him. You know, we live in a world where too many Christians were trying to save our own lives. We start calculating the risk and we're saying the risk is too big. We start calculating the risk and we're worried about you know, offending people with what the truth of the word of God says. We have all of these different reasons, and because of fear of the people, we decide to back off, and we're not, we're not going to surrender to Christ in those areas. You know, Jesus talked about this, and he said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up my cross daily and follow me. For whatever, so it says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, when we start to preserve ourselves, when we have a, when we have a priority of preserving ourselves and preserving our life and our way of life, rather than promoting Christ, we're going to lose the impact in the world. When we start promoting self and preserving self and protecting self rather than promoting Christ, the world's not going to get turned upside down. Because if we're more worried about preserving who we are rather than promoting Christ, who is the one we're actually serving? Ourself. So, so promoting Christ at whatever cost is what's going to require for us to turn this world upside down. Now as we get, in, get prepared for an invitation this morning as our musicians come forward, You know, we have a need for a great revival in our country. We have a need for a great revival in our towns and in our churches. We need a great revival. We need a great revival because whenever we look at the, at the grand spectrum of the body of Christ, we don't see a people that's on fire for Christ, that's excited about what's going on, that's excited about the, the gospel that we have. It's just something that we kind of fall into a routine and do. But are we actually passionate about that? In order for us to 
to, to be revived again. I believe that we need to pray fervently that God will set our souls on fire for Christ and to have a burning passion and a burden to preach the gospel and, to, and for us to become one in mind and in fellowship in Christ and truly be willing to follow Christ and be faithful no matter what it costs us. Because I want you to understand whatever it might cost you in this life, God will restore way more than you could possibly even imagine in the next. That's where our treasures are to be set up. We don't need to preserve what we have here today, but we need to promote Jesus Christ. Now just imagine, I mean, these men, they were accused of turning the world upside down, making an impact. Now think about it. Imagine what if we were dragged into the public square and we were accused of turning the world upside down by preaching in the name of Jesus. How many of you would feel proud about that? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Here in Malvern, you know, we're, we're, we're being, we, we might be made known. That's the church that turned this city upside down because they were preaching that Jesus Christ is king. They made an impact. What an amazing thing. What an amazing accomplishment. What an amazing compliment to be drug out into the streets and being accused of turning the world upside down for the cause of Christ. That's a badge of honor that these men had. Truly it is. Such an amazing thing. But let's actually talk about where we are right now. Where are we right now? This is a question that really will expose us to where we are currently. Individually, maybe as a church, as a group, as a family, whatever, however you want to apply it, this is where we are. But let's just suppose that you really were brought to trial. Let's suppose that we were brought to trial and the charge was you, were being, you are a Christian who is preaching in the name of Jesus. You've been charged with that. The question is, is would they have enough evidence to convict or would you be acquitted? Where are we? Are we a people truly on fire for Christ? Are we a people who are united with one goal in mind, which is to make disciples and to follow Jesus Christ and to teach his commands in all of them? Are we willing to make the price and to make the sacrifice in order to surrender completely and totally to Jesus Christ? I believe once we become that people that we can truly turn our world upside down. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your word today. Father, we thank you for the ministry that you've given us to reach the world for, for Christ. And Father, as we have this time of invitation, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of us. And whatever needs to be done, that we'll do business with you this morning. Father, we want to be a people that's on fire for you. And we want to be a people that can be seen and known for turning the world upside down for the cause of Christ. Father, we believe that that's the one thing that truly can turn us upside down and make, get us on the right track is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. Father, may we make whatever decision needs to be made this morning. May we get our hearts right with you as we step forward into a world that so desperately needs you with the commission of making disciples. Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can you stand, please, as we have this invitation? However the Lord has laid on your heart this morning to get right with the Lord, let's do it.
All right, thank you for being here this morning. We, I believe and truly believe if we'll get on fire, we'll pay the price and we'll get out there. We could be known as the people who turned the world upside down for Christ. I really believe that we can do that. God's big enough to do it with little people, I believe, but it just, it just requires us to make that obedient step and to do what he's truly called us to do. Do y'all believe that we could be known for that in Malvern? Yeah. And then whatever, whenever praise and glorification that we get, we can reflect it to Christ and he will continue to bless us? Absolutely. So let's just get busy. Any word of announcement before we close? No, we don't. All right. Um, Bryce, would you please close in a word of prayer, please?